Kamara Mikkel, and welcome to Conversations with Kamara, the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. So today I'm going to do chapter 54 of my book, Psych Ward 101. So for those who have never tuned in, uh, this is uh, my book called Kept My Enemy Closer, and it's the true story of my 14-year battle with depression. So that book came out in 2020. So when I um, start the podcast, I always do like one paragraph of the book. So my book is also in descending order. So if you order it, it's going to start at chapter 66, which is the last chapter, but the first chapter. Okay. Anyways, uh, chapter 54, Psych, Psych Ward 101. Sunday, January 7, 2018, 6 p.m. I was not only admitted to the psych ward, but I, at that very moment, looked at the double doors of that ward and was terrified to proceed. Everyone looked quote-unquote crazy. I knew that something was wrong. Something was very wrong with me, but I was in no way crazy. I was absolutely terrified to go inside of that place. So um, January the 7th of 2018, to me 2018 was just like a horrible year. But when I think about it, even though I had to go to mental wards and everything, I think it literally, um, I guess it was uh, good for me to experience that in a sense of knowing that I was not the only person uh, there who had uh, problems. Um, I know this one lady, um, I'll just call her Beth, she had been admitted by her husband to the psych ward because she um, found out that he was dating some lady, who, some girl who was the uh, age of their children. So her husband was about 50 years old, 52 years old at that time, but he was messing around with this young girl who was the uh, age of their kids, which was like 20-something years old. So I didn't understand how he could have her committed, um, you know, for losing it on him after finding out something so horrible, you know, that he was doing. So I, I didn't quite understand that. And literally, she and I had some good conversation and we would walk around. Um, there was one area that you're just sitting there at the table or people were sitting on the table. Um, and then I remember this one guy, um, he was a young guy. He could not have been more than maybe 19 years old. And they said he had been there for months. But the whole time that I was there, all three or four days, I, I never saw him sitting down. He had on the same shorts and shirt, and he literally walked profusely. So I used to think that it was only me. When I'm like extremely depressed, I don't eat, I have no appetite, and I just walk profusely. So imagine no appetite, depressed, and you just walk around just over and over and over. So with him, I was told that um, his mom co uh, committed him and that wasn't her first time uh, taking him to a psych ward. Um, so I don't know really what his real problem was. I don't know if it was depression or, or he, you know, suffered from um, bipolar disorder. So anyways, there was another lady there. I'll just call her like Anna. Um, her husband had also committed her. But maybe she was bipolar because um, she didn't say anything like um, disparaging about her husband. Um, and then it was a lot of characters there. There was this one black guy. I don't remember what his name was. But anyways, he came and sat right up on me. I think we're in the arts, uh, arts or recreation class. 
He sat like right on me, like touching my arm with his arm and shoulder. Anyways, this guy literally believed that he um, was a millionaire, multimillionaire, and I'm sorry, multimillionaire, and that he uh, owned money, like on Coming to America when um, Eddie Murphy's character was a prince and his face was on money. This guy literally thought that he was on like money, like dollar bills, 20s, 100s. You could not have told him any different. Um, He was really nice. He asked me out on a date and I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen. But I was very uh, cordial to him. So I don't know. I don't know if he was I don't know. Some people, I can't tell if they're paranoid, schizophrenic or bipolar or, you know, major depressive disorder. So it was uh, this one guy. I think I called him Sam in my book. He was a really short little white guy. Couldn't have been no more than 5'4 or 5'5. Anyways, he bragged a lot about people that he's shot or uh, beat or, and it's not like anybody said, it's not like I said, oh, Sam, you know, what's your reputation like? He literally was like a Yosemite Sam character where he um he bragged about, you know, being in the third grade and shooting a man and killing him. And I don't know, it was just so many, uh, so many people. And uh, it, it was a it was a horrible experience because you literally when you're Baker acted, you can't go anywhere for at least 72 hours. So for three days, you know, you're stuck there. Um, I shared a room at one point with this lady. Um, I don't know what her uh, diagnosis was, but um, so we were in a room. Rooms are fairly clean. It wasn't like a, you know, a dirty place. This was at, um, I'm trying to think. This one was at Memorial Hospital in Tampa. They had a psych ward there. Um, but the one I'm talking about now, I think it's Brandon, Brandon Regional Hospital, and then they have a psych ward there. So anyways, um, this one uh, lady, I think she was about my age. I remember her. I was on my bed. She was on her bed. And she started telling me a story about two men that had uh, molested her. And it, it's crazy because I guess at first I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you know, she's she's been molested. So I'm feeling sorry for her. But then the more she talked, I'm like, okay, this must be the um, psychosis, uh, I hate to say craziness, but uh, so I'm sitting on my bed, she's sitting on her bed, and then she's like, oh, she's, I want to tell you something. So I'm kind of like, okay, and I'm trying to be nice, but you just know these people are really out of their minds. So I was like, okay, she goes, well, she said it was two, she said it was two guys who raped her um, or molested her when she was little. I said, okay. She started telling the story and then I'm thinking like, like what, what is, what is going on with her? So I'm listening. And then she said something that made me very concerned. She goes, yeah, she goes, well, I'm really fearful for you. I'm like, why are you? And I said, why are you fearful for me? She goes, because she's, she was trying to let me know that those guys like are still inside of her, like literally like she's embodied them physically and that, you know, they might try to inappropriately touch me, touch me. And I was just like, okay, well, I said, well, if they do, they better stay over there because if they come over here, I'm going to beat the shit out of them. And when I said that to her like that, 
it's like <laughs> I beeped her whole car because I was like, okay, I don't know how to really handle myself with this, but let me just let her know. I don't know what you got going on, but don't be coming over here. So anyways, she kind of like changed her tune and um, I told her, I said, well, I don't want any, I don't want you sitting on my bed. You need to stay where you are. So some things you had to be like a little territorial about, but I literally, until I met that lady, Beth and that lady, uh, I think I said Anna or Anna, um, literally, I just felt like nobody in there was regular or quote unquote normal, but me, I remember this one Caucasian lady, I thought that she worked there. I thought she was part of the staff, but she wasn't. I'm going to call her Gwen. I don't remember what her name was, but it's probably not Gwen. But anyways, she was like in charge of everything. She's uh, giving, passing out uh, activity papers and all kinds of stuff. And then she was like, you know, what's your name? I'm like, you know, Kamara. And she's like, oh, beautiful name. And I almost knew what she was getting ready to say. She was like, oh, she said, you look like, and when she said that, I'm like, if she says I look like Michelle Obama, I know something. So she goes, sure enough, she goes, oh, you look like Michelle Obama. And I'm like, why do, I don't know why Caucasian people have said that to me because I look nothing like her and Michelle Obama looks nothing like me. I don't, I don't understand why that's done, but I kind of knew what she was going to say. So anyways, I thought she was a, um, in charge of the, um, activities and I'll be doggone. She was a patient there just like me. Um, it was a crazy time. No pun intended. It was, a uh, sad. And I think one of the worst things is that my mom and my daughter, you know, came to see me in a psych ward. Um, that was, um, that was a bit much. My daughter is very strong, uh, Brittany. She's, she's very strong and I know that she loves me, um, unconditionally, but I know it was hard to, for her to come and see me. And I have on this freaking, you know, hospital gown, um, and some little slide shoes and, you know, her, my mom came and gave me a hug and stuff. So that just, you know, broke my heart that she even, you know, came and I know she wanted to come, but I really didn't want her or my mom or anybody else um, to be there. I remember I got a call while I was there and that call was, I didn't know who it was. Um, so I went over and it's like this little, every like all of the uh, technicians, some are in on the floor with us just walking around. And then some are behind like a glass case um, and they, you know, let us know when we get a phone call. So about my second day there, I get a phone call and the phone connections were horribly bad. So I was like, hello. And then I heard a man's voice. Well, it was, uh, Christopher, the preacher. And I'm sure that he was feeling really, really guilty, um, about me being there because of him. You know, I just kind of spazzed out, um, on him and, um, you know, I'd taken some pills that I have not talked about. I didn't even say I did that in the book. I'm just remembering now. I never said that I just took a ton of pills and, um, the ambulance, uh, my, uh, friend Emily where, you know, I haven't been around her in a couple years, but, um, I just, I, it's like, I just, I wanted to die, but I feel failure with that, that time because I didn't, I didn't take enough pills. And I know that sounds crazy, I should have, at the time, if I really wanted to die, I just took what I could. I uh, had my bottle of medicine, my um, antidepressants, um, 
in a pill bottle. And I don't know why I didn't talk about it um, in the book. I don't know. I guess, I guess I, I feel embarrassed that I uh, took the pills. It was like a last ditch effort to just die. Um, and from there I was in a restaurant and Emily called 911 and they came and picked me up, but, um, I was fine. Um, they put me in their emergency room for a while and then, um, you know, they called my family and, um, that's how I got the first, um, the first Baker Act. And then, um, so anyways, back to that preacher, you know, he's, we're talking on the phone and I'm like, I'm literally just glad to hear his voice, believe it or not. I know it's stupid, but anyways, I was glad to hear his voice and it was just really choppy because of the phones were just like a pay phone and they were just old and dirty and nasty. Um, so anyways, he was like, how are you? And I was like, I wanted to say, how am I? I'm freaking Baker acted in a mental ward, <laughs> but I didn't say that. I just said, I'm, you know, I'm okay. And he said, you know, I don't know if he apologized for how he had been treating me, but I remember him saying he didn't stay on the phone long. He was like, okay. He goes, well, I'm going to call you back tonight or tomorrow. And tonight or tonight or tomorrow never came. You know, I didn't hear from him again until I was actually, um, I was at my daughter's because I had, um, lost my apartment. I got evicted from my apartment because I couldn't keep a job. Um, not for not trying. I just, it was just a very messed up, depressing time in my life. And, um, like I said, he never called. Um, so by the time I got out, I had to go to my daughter's house to live for a little bit. Um, I was there and I know my daughter was very concerned about me because it did seem like once I got out, I still couldn't keep still. I don't know if I've shared that before, but that kind of depression, taking uh, prescription benzodiazepines, um, I had been on those forever, forever since 2005. And, you know, they, uh, my doctor, who I still have now, she would switch around. She's, a, she's not only a psychiatrist, she's also a medical doctor. So she is the one who would put me on different medications and a lot of them wouldn't work. It's like my mind would override all of them. Um, but, um, the medicines that I was taking at that time, um, like I said, they were benzos and they were just very, it's like they worked sometimes, but when I was Baker acted, it's like they didn't work. Um, and just anyways, that whole ordeal, I never want to feel or, um, feel that way ever again. And even, I mean, I can get depressed, uh, yesterday, I was pretty depressed, not enough to want to die, um, but just some things I'm going through right now is just like, you know, you think about dying, you think about it being peaceful, um, and I know I talk about it um, towards the end of the book and some of the chapters, but it is a very, it's like, I remember being depressed when I had money, you know, I don't have money now, I'm starting my life over, um, but it's actually, I know once I um, make more money and get really settled with my business, I'm trying to build my business to go speak to people on all platforms to talk to them about my experience with depression and to let them know that they are not alone. You know, we all have, some of us have that in common. It's like you, you can be depressed when you don't, it's nothing even wrong. And, uh, that's what happened in, um, 2005, uh, when I was diagnosed 
It was with a major depressive disorder, acute anxiety disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, I thought back in 2005 that I could not feel any worse ever again. It was just very depressing. Uh, my first marriage, it was horrible uh, towards the time that you know, I found out about him with the porn addiction and him not working and pulling his weight. And, um, I don't know, you're going to, you're going to hear some funny stuff in a, you know, some weeks or a month or whatever, just, uh, my writing in the book about my, uh, my first husband, um, what did I name him? London in the book. And, um, I don't know. Um, I just, I would never want 2018 to be repeated, uh, another really horrible year for me was 20, let's see, 20, I'm sorry, 2005, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, I was doing a little bit better, 2009, I was like, you know what, I feel like my old self, I feel happy, I'm ready to get out and just do things, and um, you know, that, that, that was uh, suggested to me by my therapist, who I still have, um, but 2018 was, uh, 2017 is when I found out about my second husband and him, uh, his uh, affair, you know, with his best friend's wife. Um, that was horrible to go through. And I know I mentioned him in the podcast from, uh, this past week saying that, you know, I wish it had worked with him. Um, I, I truly believe more so than my first hu husband or more so than, you know, the preacher, uh, my second husband, uh, Kyle, that's what I called him, Kyle. He was literally, like I said, he was a love of my life. I loved him so much and I miss him sometimes, but I know for him to do what he did, um, he can't, he couldn't have possibly loved me. I don't believe that he, uh, I believe he loved me. I'm sorry. I think he wasn't in love with me anymore. Um, but you know, if not having money does that to a, a guy and, you know, makes him want to cheat on you, then I guess the, the money was, um, you know, the, the thing that, uh, the lack of it made him not want to be with me anymore. I don't know. So, you know, I can't speak for him. The last time I was, I even saw him was in 20, I think it was December of 2020, 2020 or 19. He had stole the tag off my Camaro and I came out from work one day and found that my tag was gone and my mom and my daughter, they were like, you know, uh, uh, Kyle did that. And I'm like, no, he didn't. How about when I got the, the, the manager of the apartments that I was living in, when I got, uh, he brought me the videotape, it, it was him. So anyways, I only miss him sometimes from the good times. But anyways, I always don't know how long I'm going to talk. And literally, I was like, man, I probably got like maybe five minutes of, of uh, verbiage. No, but it just, um... It just flows because it's nonfiction, it's true story. So anyways, thank you all so much for joining me today. And don't forget to go to my website. It's KamaraMikkelWorldwide.com because a Chinese company took KamaraMikkel.com right after it expired. So anyways, thank you all so much. Um, order my book, kept, me, uh, kept My Enemy Closer. Just go to my website and you will see how to uh, click into it and order my book. Thank you so much and have an absolutely wonderful day.